Welcome to Talks at GS, where leading thinkers share insights and ideas shaping the world. This session of Talks at GS was recorded before a live audience. Talks at GS. My name is Amanda Rubin. I'm the global co-head of brand and content strategy here at Goldman Sachs, and I'm delighted to be here with Karen Seidman Becker, who is the CEO and chairman of Clear, and a dear friend of mine. So I think this is going to be a lot of fun. So welcome, Karen. Thank you. Um, so let's talk a little bit about you. Um, so you began your career in risk arbitrage and hedge fund strategies rose quickly to managing director at Iridium Asset Management. But then in 2002, you made the decision with your current partner, Ken, to start your own hedge fund, uh, Arians Capital. So my first question is, why? So um, as you may know, I complain a lot. And <laughs> so there's a, a great investor named Bill Miller, who I have known since 1997 and used to talk stocks with him you know, late until the night and complain about all the things that I thought were wrong with different companies and culture and how I would do it. And literally one day he said, stop complaining it, do it your way, and I will back you. And so that is why, because I wanted to build something in my vision um, of, of uh, culture, mm -hmm. process, systems, people, Name the firm Ariance because my view of investing is it's part art, part science, mm -hmm. so highly quantitative, highly qualitative. And uh, I have no fear of failure and like to go for it, and Bill was the push that I need. But then you made another pivot. Um, you ended the hedge fund. Tell us about why, how that precipitated itself. And then you went from that to owning a company a yeah. very different type of company. So tell us about that journey. All right, so life is a journey. Uh, running a hedge fund was the most amazing experience in investing because I, I love investing and I love building, and so it was the convergence of both of those, to build a business, to hire people, to build a culture. And it was amazing because also it was a time of a front row seat to businesses that were turning around, like Amazon that was left for dead in 2002. Priceline, Left Wait, for Dead. Wait, let's just pause on that for a minute. Yeah. Amazon, Left for Dead, 2002. That is correct. Things change. <laughs> and so to, you know, when you're an investor, you have a front row seat to management teams, uh, to culture as you're going to visit those companies, to how they structure their office, how they structure their org chart, the competitive landscape, because you're looking at them and everybody else who they're competing with, who are their vendors. You're putting together that puzzle. And, uh, and so it was an incredible time in investing, quite frankly. Industries were transforming, and people who had, quote, no right running those businesses, right? Jeff Bezos came from D.E. Shaw. Uh, we were large investors in Priceline. Jeff Boyd was the general counsel at Oxford Health. He now sits on the clear board. We're incredibly lucky to have him on our team. And so it was people who had perspective, who wanted to go at things very different ways. And it, it was getting to see these um, folks defy the odds, build different companies in different ways, scale businesses, have mistakes, pivot. And it gave me um, the confidence and the desire that I wanted to build something beyond asset management to help make the world a better place. And uh, it's what led me to clear from a mission 
perspective. We had big, big investors and believers in biometrics. They absolutely can and are changing the world, which we can talk about. Mm -hmm. And the ability to build a platform company, like I had seen at Amazon, Priceline, and so many other industries, uh, was powerful from a business model. And biometrics makes things safer. And 9-11 was pivotal for me, as it was for so many others. And so this was our platform. Okay. So you were not part of the early version of CLEAR. So, um, it was originally founded in 2003. Uh, then it went on to raise $80 million, and it had amassed 200,000 users. Um, in 2009, the company went bankrupt. Uh, they had suffered a major reputational issue uh, following the temporary loss of a laptop with personal information. But after that, you and your partner went in 2010. What, what were you thinking? I mean, that, that, was, that was a challenge. This was a, a company in disarray. Help us understand. What was really interesting is Clear failed for a variety of reasons. That laptop, which seems to be a little bit urban myth, was not the actual reason. It was found and there was no personal information on it, but a very valuable lesson early on about building the integrity, privacy, data security, and how you architect your systems. Yep. So in the world of everything happened for a reason, it's urban myth, but it's important that it happened. Um, we bought Clear out of bankruptcy with a desire to build this secure identity platform. And what was interesting is when we invested, we always talked about this dislocation between Main Street and Wall Street. So we had invested in McDonald's in 2002, and people thought, or 2003, people thought it was like the next tobacco stock with obesity and class action lawsuits, and the stock had fallen apart, and we got to know the management team. But there were lines around the corner for the drive-through. Right? And so that dislocation between Main Street and Wall Street, customers still loved it. And I would sit next to people while we were doing due diligence on Clear, and they would take the card out of their wallet and say, I love it, I miss it. So customers loved it, were passionate about the experience, still trusted it even though they didn't know where their data was, it had taken their money and closed unceremoniously, like you right. showed up at the lane and it was just gone. That was passion, and that's the best focus group you could have. And what you saw was this ability to enroll once and use it everywhere. And again, going back to if life's a journey, investing is about where you think the world's gonna be in 10 years. And I believe, and this was now nine years ago and I think it's happening, and I definitely think over the next few years you're gonna see more of it, you are you. You are your driver's license, your credit card, your healthcare card, your building access card. Why are you whipping all these cards out? Security is a global secular challenge, as is customer expectations and experiences. In a just-in-time world when you can point and click, and every day you can point and click more than you could you know, two years before, um, this is the new customer expectation. And standing in long lines, any kind of line, are all these bottlenecks to prove that you are you or you have access to something makes no sense, doesn't scale, and isn't where the world is going. Okay, help for those of us who don't completely understand biometrics, what exactly is it, and what are the four or five biggest use cases that you see in the future? So biometrics are what are uniquely you. Your iris images are uniquely yours, your fingerprints, some people say, well, clearly your face, your voice. People now say your gait is in your walk. Um, beyond humans, zebras, their stripes are their biometrics. No two zebras have the same stripes. 
which I learned on Safari. Uh, and, so, and so the fact of the matter is that if those assets are uniquely you, then you can prove that you are you with them. And at the end of the day, driver's license or passports, they could be real, but they could be somebody else's. So when, when they are doing this, that's manual biometric recognition, right? When someone's trying to compare your driver's license to your face, and I don't know about you, but my driver's license does not so much look like me no. anymore. And so, uh, you know, it is, it is what is uniquely you and using that for a match that can then give you access or entitlements to certain things that, you know, you would typically be pulling your, your cards out for, your pictures out for. You know, it started at the security checkpoint because you have to start somewhere and it's the place where there was the most friction with identity and matching it to your ticket and physical screening and aviation continues to be a large threat on the security side of the house. But you start to pull that out, bag drop, right? You're waiting in line to drop your bag. Well, we've introduced biometric bag drop first with fingerprints and then we're gonna be moving to facial. Because you are you, you should you know, use your biometrics, print out your bag tag, put it on the bag and send it on the conveyor belt. Much better customer experience and more secure. We've just launched in 20 airports biometric boarding pass in our partnership with Delta, which means your fingerprints or your iris are not only your identity document, but then we've linked into the reservation system, it's also your boarding pass. So now they both come up. You don't need to take out a mobile phone or a ticket. But how does that manifest itself, right? So am I walking into the airport? How am I? Is there a, a zoom in on my eyeball? My So it's all machine. So okay. first of all, really important, it's all opt-in, right? So you've opted in for this, you've gone and you've taken an action that putting your fingerprints down for your biometric bag drop, but then we'll be launching with cameras and it'll be facial. Okay. And it'll be, you know, a well, camera at a pod. Okay. You'll do it, you'll stop and, and, and print that out. Today at the pod at the clear lane, not only is it your identity, but now it's also your boarding pass. Historically, you had to you know, do your fingerprints and then your boarding pass. We've eliminated that because we've linked into the reservation system. Once we know that you're Amanda, question is, does Amanda have a ticket today from LaGuardia to Atlanta? The reservation system says yes and on you go. Same thing with lounge access. Why are you waiting in line to show someone your boarding pass or your you know, whatever card you have? and then boarding. So you can sort of take it, that whole travel ribbon in the airport. And then when you get to the Hertz rental car uh, station today in Atlanta, you use your face to drive off the lot. Typically you roll down the window, you show someone your documents. It's all about proving again and again that you are you. In sports stadiums, we've partnered with Major League Baseball. Your face is your ticket. So we'll be launching that this year. And, uh, and, and so it's not only about a fast lane, but it's about, you know, I'm sending you my tickets digitally, physically, easier as you are your ticket. The infrastructure that allows someone to use this technology, who's responsible for that? Who builds it? What is the vision for that infrastructure in all the use cases you're talking about? And um, so, well, let's talk, let's take that right. first. So a few points, we're a government certified company and that's really important as you started to think in 2010 about the infrastructure that you were gonna build where privacy, security, and quite frankly, the integrity of the brand and the trust of the customers is job one. Uh, Cause again, you're starting way down there. We're a qualified anti-terrorism technology, which is really important. And so the infrastructure is one that is scalable. Today we are at AWS in the cloud and we own, though, our systems, we have patents, uh, everything that we do is encrypted at rest and in transit. So we've built an architecture 
and, and we house the data securely in the cloud. We are responsible, though, for every aspect and have been very open in our public-private partnership with the Department of Homeland Security to strong audits and oversight because we think security and privacy is job one. And so we've been really focused on, again, collaboration with government regulators, on audits, on data security and privacy. And our whole point has been we do not sell data. We will not sell or share data. We are an opt-in model. We sell experiences by securing your data and protecting your privacy. How are we ever going to make sure that this is a appropriately regulated industry? So I think that um, there's a recognition that the education and the conversations need to be happening more regularly between Washington and industries. Uh, and so I think that you'll see a lot more collaboration and a lot more curiosity and questions which are forcing that collaboration. The proactive nature, uh, I think, of technology companies uh, has grown over the past few years to educate, to share. And I can only speak for clear to say that has been part of our DNA from day one because we had to. But I think that, again, you look at all the things coming down the pike and the upending of industries. What does autonomous vehicles mean for the insurance industry? And, uh, and the highways, and the, it's, it's everywhere. And so there is a, a need for that collaboration. Again, I use the word public-private partnership because we have a formal one um, with TSA, but I think every industry and company, formal or informal, is gonna have to have it. So you talked a little bit about the dynamic uh, pace of which technology continues to evolve. How do you address that in, in it clear? Um, so I think the best form of competition is innovation period, full stop. And so my whole thing is kind of what have we done for them and them are our members and we have two forms of members, our team members and our customer members. And what have we done for them lately? How have we made it better? And um, one of my colleagues is here and he showed me something and, and, and I said, well, it's not right. And he said, but you approved it a month ago. I was like, well, that was a month ago. <laughs> like, what have we done lately? And so getting people in that mindset of this is the new baseline. How are we improving it? How are, from an engineering perspective, how are we making it faster? What is the amount of time between I right now carry an iPhone, credit card, driver's license, I have a passport. When am I going to be traveling with just my lipstick. <laughs> so I, you know, I don't know about the phone, although I think the phone will evolve. Like I envision a day where your AirPods are talking and you're on the corner and you say, I need an Uber to go wherever. And it's voice recognition. You are you, your credit card, you are your location, you are connected. Like, is this what we're gonna be doing? So your screen will be used for very different things. Mm -hmm. um, and so I believe that over the next five to seven years, and things never happen as quickly as you think they're going to happen, so um, that is 60 to, what, 84 months, um, you will not need your wallet and the cards in it because they don't serve a purpose. They are not secure, they are not frictionless, um, and there is no guarantee that you are you. Can biometrics ever be wrong? So, Fingerprints are five nines, 99.999. There's been a lot on spoofing, and the question is, are they, there's liveness detection. So I would tell you this, nothing is foolproof, right? And so I would never say never. Fingerprints and iris image 
are well-proven long-term. I mean, look how long we've been using fingerprints. It started with ink swirls, but um, facial recognition has shown to not be as strong yet as fingerprints or iris image and continues to get better. But that's why you have to have a multi-layered approach, right? So for fingerprints, they talk about tape and they talk about wax and they talk about all sorts of things. But the fact of the matter is that, is there someone overseeing the transaction and is there liveness detection? And, um, but nothing is foolproof. But Clear has a multi-layered approach. Clear, Clear has a multi-multi-multi-layered approach. Multi-layered approach. Okay. Which also has people, right? I mean, oh. we have people overseeing transactions. So trust but verify. Okay. So we're going to do a quick lightning round. Favorite airport? That's like my children. I don't have a favorite. I love all of our airport partners <laughs> deeply. If I, I mean, LaGuardia, it's 15 minutes from my house, but I love them all. Okay. All right. <laughs> Uh, favorite travel hack aside from clear? My favorite travel hack aside from clear would have to be the flight board. I like to get a live flight board on my phone so I don't have to go find the one in the airport and that's oftentimes where you can see what your gate is, changes, delays. Trust but verify, I want my own flight board. Okay, good. Aisle or window seat? Absolute aisle. Need the leg room and don't like to have to climb over someone if you have to get up. Okay, favorite app? Favorite app is Dark Sky, since I'm a control freak. Oh my gosh, weather. Weather, weather, weather. It, it impacts everything that you do. You need to understand the weather. Traveling. Dark Sky? Yeah, Dark Sky. Real time, analytical, breaks it down, precipitation, wind gusts, the whole thing. All right. And best advice you've ever received? By my grandfather. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, so we'll end on that note. Karen, thank you so much. You are pioneering in a new and different world. We're delighted to be here. Thank you. This podcast was recorded on January 24th. 2019. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part or disclosed by any recipient to any other person. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the recipient. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty, express or implied, as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any recipient is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that recipient, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.